Hello and happy Monday, my friends. This is Amy Lee San Juan, and I'd like to welcome you back to a Cisco Champion and Filter episode, a Cisco Champion radio spinoff series that gives our champions a platform to have casual conversations around a variety of topics focused on technology, career, and other interesting stuff. Don't forget, if you like our podcast, subscribe wherever you're listening to us. All right, today we are talking about ransomware outbreaks and the recovery process from an organizational and networking perspective. The champions are going to draw from their wealth of experience to share their routes to remediation, but I would be remiss if I didn't call out episode 34 on ransomware and zero trust networking. So if you are interested in learning more, check out that episode. All right, let's get to it and get to know our Cisco champion hosts. GJ, I will start with you. Who are you? Hi, my name is Gert-Jan de Boer, GJ in short, because my name is unpronounceable in English. I'm a Dutch CTO for a, a value-added reseller called Azu, and we specialize in uh, networking and security. Fantastic. Evan, you're up next. Hey, Emily. Uh, Evan Mincer. I am a information security manager located outside of Philadelphia. Um, <laughs> for most of it, it's well outside. It's like 45 minutes. Um, let's see. I've been doing security for six years and before that infrastructure uh, services. So been in the business for quite some time. Um, looking forward to this. Oh, and you can find me on Twitter at Evan Mincer. All right. Shai, who are you? I am Shai Silverman. I'm the director of network services for San Jose State University here in San Jose. Actually, right in downtown, unlike you, Evan, I'm not, like, on the suburbs. And uh, just uh, looking forward to this episode. I think it's uh, very timely. Thank you for joining us. (laughs) Really appreciate it. All right, Gerard, tell us about yourself. Oh, it's always a a pleasure. Besides my long walks, besides my long walks on the beach, bottles of wine and hot chocolate at night. You can find me at G Cavalinas. I'm an IT professional. Uh, I've been one for over 15 years. My loves outside of those things are networking, security, and virtualization. So this is also timely as I just released an awesome blog piece at Tech House 570, which I am the founder of. I'm also a managed service systems analyst at Helian Systems, which is based outside of Philly. So about two hours from me. And if you need to find me, I'm everywhere. Not hard to find. You can find me at G Cavalinas on Twitter and Gerard Cavalinas on LinkedIn. And, and right. just to clarify, we're very far apart, even though we're both just outside of Philly. I know, right? <laughs> On my screen, you're right next to each other. Yeah. <laughs> like, I could just go over a bar some sugar from if I wanted. All right. Well, thank you for those introductions, gentlemen. Um, GJ, before we get into the conversation, do you want to give us the gist of what we're going to discuss? Maybe starting with what exactly is ransomware? Sure. No problem. So, uh, basically, ransomware is like uh, every thread that blocks access to your your files. Like, uh, there, your files could be encrypted, they could be stolen, uh, they could be deleted. Uh, people could threaten to release them to the public. And the only way to stop it is to pay a ransom to a criminal gang. Uh, these criminal gangs, they are mostly... Uh, uh, mostly motivated uh, to get to you. They use like a dragnet to uh, infect your systems. Like uh, they drop files somewhere uh, with uh, with infected software, which you 
uh, click on a link or stuff like that and you get infected coincidentally. Uh, but we're seeing a big rise in more motivated attacks where they use vulnerabilities into your system and gain access and try to get further and further and deeper in your system and stay there for sometimes even longer than a month or two months before they activate. Wow, that sounds very scary. It is, but luckily there's a good way to deal with them because we see them a lot. So how would you deal with them once you got uh, ransomed? <laughs> yeah, well, there's a whole process in uh, in going about that. So basically the first step is to determine the initial scope to see, well, in what phase of the attack are you? There's a, there's a cyber kill chain. That's a, a, that's a threat model, which de determines the, the seven stages that you uh, can encounter when you uh, get infected with uh, ransomware or something like that. So they're basically reconnaissance, uh, weaponization, delivery, installation, then lateral movement, command and control and execution. We'll probably get into that a little bit later. So hopefully you'll discover the ransomware uh, when they're still in the reconnaissance phase and there's nothing activated yet and there's something you can do. Yeah, I was going to say, that's usually also when you have reconnaissance from the outside. So ransomware hasn't actually hit. You haven't... A lot of times with ransomware, they're encrypting the files and then once the files are encrypted... If you don't have the key, um, you might be, or you have no backups, you're going to be screwed. Uh, that, that That's where the thoughts of having to pay to get the key so you can unencrypt your files, but that's not always a good thing because there's no, there's nothing compelling them to say, okay, we'll give you the key if you just pay us this. And you pay them and you now have to trust that they're going to give you the key to get your files back. But you're absolutely right. If, if there's reconnaissance going on, it's being able to control that. And if you can see that the, the bad guys are, are trying to get into your network, um, then you can stop that before it becomes a problem. It sounds almost like something out of an, an 80s action movie, right? Like That's we hear about thinking. it. We literally hear about it. Like what what guarantees them to give you once you let's say you do and you break and you request that key and you go ahead and you, you know, you know, you bend to their will and, and their demands. There's nothing that's going to guarantee that. And that's why I've noticed, too, specifically in healthcare, which is where I came from, that a lot of organizations are also looking to segregate their data and, you know, make sure that it's locked down, it's secure. You know, only the IT people, of course, have the keys to the castle, but we make sure that monitoring it and being proactive, it's imperative. Because when these threats, and they're changing every day, that's why I know a lot of big companies um, you know, and it's, it's, it's for me, it's cool. Cause like I, from working in retail to now, and it sounds corny, but I've seen those gradual changes. Like I remember when scareware was like this big thing and it was hitting machines and then ransomware started hitting machines and then grew to an enterprise and infrastructure type level to where it's at now. It, it makes you wonder where, you know, the, the next five, 10 years are going to be and how more advanced these threats are, are, are coming. So I, I, I want to kind of ask a question because it, it seems that like endpoint backups are not something that's very popular uh, to do today because uh, people are mobile, uh, doing the backups from remote I mean, presents a lot of logistical challenges with both users and, and computers. Uh, but are there advantages to using like, like or storing key files, for example, in Dropbox or, or Google Drive or, or some of these drives where you can actually recover, uh, have automatic backups and recovery from different file versions? Oh, definitely. 
I mean, the, the big thing I see, so we use, you know, we're Microsoft shop, so we'll use OneDrive a lot and you can use, you know, uh, Box and, and all those applic all those uh, cloud services as well. But really, um, when you look at those, if the files aren't located on, on someone's hard drive and they're replicated off to another location, then if, if ransomware hits, hits that computer, okay, trash the computer, give them a new one. Their files aren't there. The, the big problem is if you have something that is more worm-like, that is, is not just trying to say, okay, I'm going to, you know, their, their malicious, file, malicious uh, programs will go and just encrypt the hard drive and, and you're done. Anything not on the computer is not encrypted. But then you get worms that will try and actually reach out to network locations and networking these days can be the cloud. If, if you get one of those that can encrypt the stuff in the cloud, then you got big problems. Yeah. And there's the ones I've seen too, like pieces of malware that are self-replicating. And again, it will change the hash value and it changes it again and again and again constantly and then just encrypt it. But I know, like I say this, devices... If you can, that's not infrastructure level. If you do get a piece of ransomware, you know, get it off the network. I just, I was telling everybody, you know, a few weeks ago, my last job, I had one. I had a laptop on my desk said virus. And of course, and they're like, virus, well, that that's very broad, right? But always take it off the network because you don't do that. You're opening yourself up to an even bigger mess of problems. It sounds like it's like amputating a limb. It is. You have to well, cut yeah, the snake is. off at the head. To avoid becoming a zombie. It'll spread it, it like that. Is. Yeah. yeah, there there was a breach um, a few years back, about five years ago, for a, a major pharmaceutical company, um, won't name names, but they had that case. They were not patching properly and, and ransomware hit and it started replicating in their network and everyone that was in the office lost machines that day. And they actually sent something out to the people that were not in the office and said, do not come in. <laughs> Do not turn your computer on. Well, the, the, so this was obviously pre-COVID, but you know it was do not come into the office because eventually we, they locked it down. So they went through the whole, you know, the, la the lots of lateral movement and, and dealing with all that. And they were able to get to the point where they determined who got hit, which was the majority of people, turn those machines off. And the people that remained are the ones that had laptops that could do work. So we're talking a lot about self-replicating and automa automated attacks. But over the last couple of years, I've seen a, a huge increase in more motivated attacks where there's people leading the attack. Like there's 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 some way they uh, they get access to your network. Like uh, for example, I've seen uh, a recent case where uh, a network got infected uh, because the admins they use this browser plugin within uh, Firefox or Chrome or something, uh, and this was a completely valid uh, browser plugin. It was a well-known proxy plugin. And the criminals, they bought this company behind the plugin. They waited a few months and they built in a backdoor that tunneled back into their network. So in that way, they have access to your network because the admin, they dial out and they give you access. So through that tunnel from the inside to outside, uh, the criminals came in and they used multiple layers of exploits to gain lateral movement. And that's really tough to detect because it's not an automated process. There's actually a human being on the other end that's actively trying to exploit within your network and do reconnaissance there. So in that situation, it was them burying the malicious software inside of 
Yeah, they embedded it into the plugin. Yeah. And that's why I said where we're at now is not going to be the same from the security landscape in five to ten. Like, I get excited because you wonder, like, they used to, it used to be real sloppy when they would come out with these different types of threats and infections, but it's gotten so tight knit that, again, they pass as valid certificates or they pass as valid plugins. Where are we going to be in another five years? I think also, like, how much, how much does it make a difference, for example? Because machines, when they're on the corporate network, we have firewalls that, uh, block uh, detect uh, all of these uh, malware content to so look for the signatures uh they pretty pretty much isolate command and control locations but uh but i think a big part of it is when we go home when we go to starbucks and we're, we don't vpn or we use split tunnels that we're wide open without the layer seven protection well really company and that's where it used to be years ago companies saw that as my perimeter security is the firewall and you know I was at a company, I, I just started with this company that that happened to them. They got hit by, by a virus where it was the same thing. Plenty of firewalls on the outside were all good. Someone can just go to Starbucks and get their free Wi-Fi and get infected on free Wi-Fi and then just walk the laptop right past the firewall. Yeah. So, so when you look at endpoint security, it's no longer good enough to say, well, we have firewalls on the perimeter. No, the perimeter is no longer there. The perimeter is where your laptop is. And it's rare, but like there's one instance that, you know, there's even a rootkit type esque infection where that would just punch holes through the defense system. So you could keep patching it, but the infection was designed to break through that. It's almost like the best the best analogy is the firewall acts like the bouncer in the nightclub, right? You're standing outside, he's like, You're not coming in, you're not coming in. But he sees the threat, like, uh, okay, you could come in, you could come in. It's way, it's so much bigger than that now. It's crazy. Or worse than the nightclub when they decide to leave the nightclub and go somewhere else. The bouncer's not going to help at that point. Exactly. So that's it. So the infection's going to go. It's just, it's not, that's, it's not their problem anymore. So, I mean, I, I think that the other, the other thing that we have to be like, um, really vigilant about is really training, uh, the users, uh, because, uh, we need to sort of have them understand that they are being tested. So, for example, something we do is we send, uh our own our own staff for example uh different uh, uh different emails trying to entice them to click on something and if they do of course they kind of you know get the red flag hey you just fell for it but uh i, I think really we ha- the we have to really sh- get users to be much more uh, vigilant about what they do that's what we did in my last job the phishing campaigns are key well and that's that's a big thing that's a big thing to look at it's that you know we have as security professionals and network professionals, we can buy tools. There's plenty of tools out there. You know, there's antivirus, there's any malware applications, there's firewalls, you know, all, all, you know, DNS security, all this stuff we can buy. But when it comes down to it, the user is that last line of defense and training them to understand that the email that says, Hey, you're, you want a free subscription or Hey, your Amazon card that you don't actually have is is up is having problems click here to to fit you know to to get a new amazon card them being trained to understand that no don't click on that link but it's still not only the users or maybe we can consider uh ourselves as admins also users uh, because there's literally no network i know that is completely patched and completely up to date so like there's when there's a new vulnerability there's most of the networks they have somewhere they have some hidden server that's too important to update or some firewall that's too important to reboot or stuff like that so like there there's a big role for patching 
Yeah, and that, that's where, you know, um, manufacturing, especially when, in uh, pharmaceutical and, and uh, life sciences areas where they're getting an application from, you know, a vendor and the vendor saying it doesn't support this Microsoft patch. And now you have to weigh, do you stop manufacturing to keep patches up to date? Do you ignore what the vendor says? Because, you know, there's a vulnerability out there that that patch has to has to fix. Yeah, and most most times I get the defense like we we have this fi- uh, fancy firewall and it has uh, signatures for this CV and this CV, so it will block it anyway. But then if you're dealing with a multi-layered approach, when they find another way to get access to a, into your network, they are still able to exploit the vulnerability because it's still there behind the pro- uh, the protection you have. I think it also like when we identify things like in production medical, not everything is access to the internet. Uh, so, for example, it's really important to understand, you know, just because you're on, on the corporate network doesn't mean you get natted out, right? Because being able to control what goes out is sometimes, at least in this case, more important than what comes in. Yeah, in that case, like uh, a great first line of defense in ransomware is using umbrella or the open dns servers like they block all these outgoing command and control services and it's very lightweight to uh to deploy it's like basically you can deploy it in five minutes it's a great first step but but now that we all work from home right i mean we know it's 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 certainly much easier when you're inside the corporate network or or on the corporate network but uh, today, right now, most of us are working from home, working remote from our home internet. So what are some of the things that like we're able to do uh, from home without the big boy security, I'm going to call it, in order to prevent that? Well, well Shai, going back to the, the training end user, so that phishing, the phishing tests, we we do those all the time. Um, and, and by the way, for anyone that in my company that fails the phishing test, they get extra training on top of that. So it, it not, <laughs> not not as a punishment, but just as they've shown they need that extra training. Do you have a wall of shame? Uh, <laughs> That'll learn him. <laughs> Where am I going to put a wall of shame? I'm remote. <laughs> I've learned the hard way from those fishing things. So I, I yeah, would so- be one of those that would need additional training. Well, I love the people that we were fishing at the last job. So we'd go in phases and we had three or four. I think it was three we had set up. And one, they would submit tickets because we instructed, if you see this and you're unsure to put a ticket in, and the one person's like, ha ha, you're not getting me. You know, like, so some of them were like on it. And then the other ones are like, do we have an Amazon account? It's like, ah. <laughs> oh, I love the ones that respond to the email with, ha ha, you're not getting me. Yeah, they're the best. <laughs> you just failed. <laughs> oh, that's failing too. That's failing. Yeah, do not respond to those emails because that show if it was a bad guy, that's showing the bad guy, yeah, you're a live person. Yep. Makes sense. Makes sense. And you respond to emails, so now we now we're going to move up and uh, and try to trick you to resp- to to do something else. So just just delete the email. It's the best thing yes. you could do. Got when in it. when in doubt, delete the email or forward it to shy. Don't don't even read your emails. Just delete all of them. <laughs> that's it. I, in a lot of companies, I recommend uh, sharing those emails. Like uh, with a couple of companies I work with, they have these uh, internal channels uh, on like WebEx Teams or something. And they share like, uh, I, hey, I got this email and I don't know if this is phishing or not, but maybe look out for it. 
well, but, but don't don't send the email don't to someone else it. and say, <laughs> hey, I clicked on this link. Can you check it too? You try clicking on it. Yeah. No. I, 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 wait, I was actually there and happened. Let's we keep the chain alive. The yeah. <laughs> I, I, I heard a story. It's kind of funny that actually the help desk at one organization forwarded the email to everyone and everybody saw, oh, this is from the help desk. So it, it actually <gasps> got a lot more people to click on it. So it had the inverse effect. So I just want to go back uh, uh, to how to deal with it when, uh, because it's a, there's almost a guarantee that sometime in your career you're having to deal with it because there's no hundred percent guarantee that you're always fully secure. There's always a way in. So I think the first step is to accept that you're always gonna be a victim and prepare uh, prepare for it. Yeah, there's the there's the the pre preventative stuff. So so you want to get on not just antivirus. Antivirus at best is twenty six percent effective, and usually it's more like twenty percent effective. So antivirus is only so much. You get any malware products, so now you're at least looking at. And any malware products going to look at the, the the operating system files and say is something trying to make a change to the operating system files rather than an antivirus, which looks at a signature. So you have both of those. You you want to look at, obviously, as I said before, training the end user. But the big thing is your backups. If the data is residing on a laptop that gets destroyed, the data is gone. So, you know, looking at those cloud services where you can offload from the laptops. Really, if 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 your data is sitting in the cloud and your laptop gets destroyed for whatever reason, not just ransomware, you put it on top of your car and drove away. Yes, I have heard of that one before. Um by one of my users, then get another laptop and go to the cloud and get your data. So that works out great. You just pull it. I, I still agree with that. It's like my attitude is my laptops are nothing more than display devices. And uh, and as part of preparing for recovery, it's like uh, I've always said, like if, if you give me a new laptop and tell me to smash mine in half right there, I can do it and I'm back in business in two hours. Exactly. And as long as you have those those dedicated backups where you back them up on a file share, that's it. Stick and move. Get a new one. That's why we have inventories. That's why, you know, we budget for additional hardware and we we make sure we're proactive in, in, in staying five to ten steps ahead of these types of threats. Then this way there's no impact, there's minimal downtime for the end user and they keep moving forward. I will say though, as as an IT professional, if anyone you know they put their laptop on top of the car and drive away, you're getting one of the old ones from the inventory. You're not getting a new laptop. Does it matter if I put it under my car when I drive away? Then right under the right under the tire, so you can't go forward, right? <laughs> now, I see. So we would keep those ones for the people who we would give them a brand new laptop, and then they would spill Diet Pepsi on it. Then you get one of the old ones from inventory. But I did have someone have get get a laptop infected, and they just said literally their their response was priceless. They're like, I unplugged it and threw it in my bathtub. Cool, <laughs> because it got infected. Yeah, I I know I once heard a story of a guy actually shooting his laptop. Oh, that, that that's <laughs> I'm, I'm not, I would not put that past me. Yeah, just just unplugged it from the chart right in the bathtub. Well, no, I <laughs> I asked him about it. He he shot his laptop with with a twenty two caliber pistol, and I asked him why, and he said that's the largest caliber I'll use in my office. <laughs> Yay, I like that story. That's funny. By the way, not all not all of the shots went through the other end. But but, but the reality of it too is I mean, I mean, just cuz the computer gets infected, I mean, it it doesn't mean it's done. It just means that you need to reinstall it from scratch. I mean, no need to destroy good hardware. Uh, unless 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 you and the hardware have had relationship issues prior to the infection. And even yeah. then I recommend counseling. 
Yeah, from a business <laughs> continuity standpoint, it's it's you can get them a laptop, replace it out. They can be up and running quickly because, you know, someone from accounting is not going to rebuild their laptop. That goes back to IT. But yeah. from a business continuity standpoint, they could be up and running a lot quicker. Now, I know like some uh, companies are like starting to kind of go more and more that the work environments are actually being done on VDI. Uh, does that really help and reduce the uh, attack surface for uh, ransomware? Uh, I don't think so, actually. It's still, you still have the same, uh, you still need to take the same measures to protect the users. It doesn't matter where the desktop is. Yeah, it's it's all about the data. If 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 the bad guy gets to the data and corrupts the data, then the data's gone. In the case of a VDI, though, it just means that I'm taking out some steps. No longer does IT have to send a replacement laptop. It's okay, wipe the VDI, give them a new image, and they're up and running, as long as the attack wasn't on their laptop. Yeah, one of the problems I see uh, is that like we're in the middle of a big adoption of zero trust. Everybody's heard of it. Everybody's trying to use it. Uh, like we're isolating workstations, uh, endpoints and stuff into a network that we trust just as less as the internet. But what what I see with my customers is that when they use a VDI or a RDP solution, they just put it in the server VLAN right within the trusted zone of the network. Like you're bypassing all the security measures that you're, already taken and they're saying hey we're implementing zero trust well that that's where you'd hope that the the person helping them deploy it would let them know that that's a problem because you're absolutely right at that point yes it's a server solution because it's you know vdi is is running off a server but what's running is a user-based tool and and i would say it shouldn't even be in the user vlan you should have another um another segregated location for them so Evan, I'm gonna pick on you, but you know you keep referring to this as a bad guy. Sounds like you're just genderizing <laughs> the the whole ransomware issue here. I, I actually I actually thought about that as I'm saying bad guys. So so as as I said before, I'm near Philly where use guys is is uh, is non-gender specific. So I'm using I'm using I'm using the non-gender specific version of guys. If there's a good comeback, this one tops it. That's an awesome comeback. Now I I will say that, you know it it is not a male female thing. Um, it could be anyone. You know, that's the big thing that I know about with with malware and, and ransomware and all this stuff is it's turning into a business. It is. I mean, th- these people actually can have um, help desks. So so when someone doesn't understand computers and their ran- their computer gets hit with ransomware, they actually have someone to call up that will gladly help them get some Bitcoin and transfer it over to hopefully get the key back. It's turning into a lucrative one at that. And they're even uh, uh, providing proof that they're able to decrypt the files. So that's one of the first things. If you're considering paying, uh, always ask for proof. Send them over a couple of files and have them decrypt them to see if they're actually able to. Because there's a big bunch of them that are not. They're just encrypting with a random key. And then they say, thanks for the Bitcoin and bye-bye. So, and I think it's like a lot of people need to just kind of look at the accidental file storage in their laptops. Uh, I know, for example, uh, as you're downloading documents, like go into your downloads, a lot of times the default is to store things to my documents. And a lot of us, I don't think, realize how much we, even though we try to store things 
generally uh, maybe on file shares on the cloud, but, but our computers and applications have a tendency to collect files locally. So everyone should really kind of take a look at what is in your downloads, what is in my documents, is there anything interesting in there that I actually care about, and, you know, in case I lose that. Yeah, Shai, that, that's a really, that's a really good point. There's a lot of software that synchronize the data from your computer. So you have this uh, this drive or, uh, or a link in your file explorer and you just click on it and you're able to browse like it's locally on your desktop. And what it does, it actually caches on your local laptop and it, you can still infect it and then sync it back into the cloud. Yeah, that's the organization I'm at now. We use a solution called iManage and that's what we do. Just in the off-rare chance, those machines or any machine gets hit which they don't but if they do then i manage just automatically caches it it syncs it and you have a backup so it'll can it could just pull it on your new device as soon as you get it yeah but the important thing to remember is that if it's just a, a data backup if, if your local machine gets hit by ransomware and it, it corrupts the data locally it could actually send it into the cache as in corrupt you know, in corrupted format so you want to make sure that that you can recover older copies of the data from the cloud yeah and the whole problem is you don't know when you got infected. So maybe they were there like half a year ago and it just got activated recently. So your backups might be compromised also. Yeah, you're actually then restoring the infection. Yeah, Occasionally, sometimes you get notified when you get that big red screen pop up and your whole laptop crashes. You just brought something back and I'm going to mention it here and I'll never, it was one of my early pieces of advices. This is back in like Windows Vista days. When we would remove malware or scareware, is always shut off the system restore. Shut it off. And then clean it, because once you clean it, that's if you don't have it off, and you go to restore it, it's just going to pull the infection right back, and you'll be back to square one. That trigger word. Thank you, Evan, because I just remembered that. That was so long ago, but yeah. I was say, Vista was not that long ago in my career. <laughs> No, but it's just so funny. It was it was XP and Vista, but XP's where I heard it. It was just this, like when I was early, I like learned it, you know, and I was really coming up. See, see, it's conversations like this that make me long for the days of DOS. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Windows 3.1. <laughs> oh, no, no, DOS. Go back Evan, to the you're dating Oh, yeah. Friend. I know I'm dating myself. And Shai, don't tell me that you don't remember that. Of course. Uh, I want to go back to like our cyber right, kill chain. So we talked about like the, the the seven steps, right? We talked about reconnaissance, weaponization, delivery, installation, lateral movement, command and control and execution. So now let, let's, I mean, uh, are there any recommendations? How do we know we're being uh, in the reconnaissance right? or how do we prevent that? Any kind of thoughts for our listeners on that? So in a in an enterprise environment, it's looking at your logs. Um, you need to look at, you need, first you need to understand what what should your network look like normally? And then you need to collect logs and that way you can then look for when something abnormal is occurring. And and sometimes abnormal doesn't mean that, oh, look, there's a guy in our network. No, abnormal could be a lot of things. But th that's when you have to get the human interference to say, okay, I'm going to go look, intervene and, and go look at this alert and say, is that there? But I mean, we so we have a SIEM solution, the security incident event monitoring solution that collects all of our logs from, from Windows, from our firewalls, from Azure, Office 365, wherever. And then we can see, you know, is someone logging in? You know, they're normally logging in from New York, but, oh, look, they logged in from Russia today. And that was an hour after logging in from New York. You know, that's yeah. where kind of the, okay, or is that normal? That's something you have to look. That's one of the newer things when I was like reading through a lot of the features with Cisco umbrella and cisco secure endpoint as you can go through and it gets granular as far as filtering through the logs which devices it's pulling where's the ip 
timestamp what's incoming what's outgoing and you can kind of see where all of that movement is it's like it's like watching a robot with like 50 different arms you see at each piece and if like you said something abnormal sticks out to you then you can go ahead click the device and then really pull more data and info from that yeah the big the big thing that a lot of companies though mistake for is they might put in a same solution so like a splunk or q logic or whatever um and then say okay great we're good but if you don't know what your network is supposed to look like then all that's going to do is just regurgitate what you're seeing. And if someone's already inside the network, they're going to be it's going to be regurgitating exactly seeing the 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 bad people in the network. But it's really you know, understanding what's there. The one of the services we offer our customers is something we call smart network monitoring, and it's basically based on uh, uh, the product Stealthwatch as a base, which looks at uh, the behavior of your network. And then combine that with uh, all the other ingestion points like endpoint uh, security and all the other security solutions you have. Uh, and it gives you a complete overview of your whole uh, networking infrastructure and what it should normally look like. So uh, a couple of weeks ago, we discovered something new uh, where uh, a customer that was using uh, Windows they have this dynamic update distribution stuff where the the Windows computers are able to exchange uh, Windows updates between each other. And that uses this specific port. Uh, and this customer had that turned off in their group policies. And then at some point we get a notification that one of the endpoints was uh, trying to connect to 10 other endpoints in the same VLAN on that port. So if you don't know the context, it would look like a normal Windows update that's trying to distribute. But in this case, because you know the context, you know that's not normal behavior, you know there's a reconnaissance phase happening there that this one computer is probably infected with something that is trying to find out what other computers it can infect. Yeah, and that, that's actually going back to something that Gerard was kind of alluding to earlier of you know what's the future going to hold for... for malicious activity um when you know we all we can all look at things in the network and say like a windows update that's normal but what if they're able to take something malicious and make it look like windows update you, know, you look at say you know my laptop going searching things on your net that's fine if a domain controller is doing the same thing is that good or bad well it's a domain controller should it be doing that yeah we in the end we found out there were like three endpoints that were doing that and they all three received the same email and they visited the same link. <laughs> it was probably the first person getting the email, then sending it to the other two saying, hey, yeah. click on this link. Tell me what happens. <laughs> so now, continue to go. Weaponization is something the the attackers or, or as Evan said, the bad guy, uh, the, the, that's how they figure out like how they're going to, to weaponize the, the, the attack. And delivery is also something that uh, they're trying to figure out the angle in. So either they already have something installed, uh, and, and this is where corporate networks need to be able to identify it and, and block it from, from downloading. Yeah, this is the phase where, like all these, these steps you're talking about, this is the phase where you're able to prevent anything bad from happening. Like everything after that, that you're dealing with damage control. Interesting. So once it's delivered, the installation, lateral movement, command and control, and execution, uh, they can move really fast to the point that it's a little too late and, and it's just a matter of, of getting it going. Well, it, it's not necessarily too late, but it's a lot harder to deal with once once they're inside the network. So they're inside the network and, and they've they've pulled the trigger on 
attacking you however they're however the bad person's going to be attacking you um at that point it, it's too late to be easy but then it really comes down to what's your preparation for dealing with it yeah so i read uh, in a security report that uh, on average it takes uh, people to uh, 110 days to discover that they were breached from the initial breach. i believe it's up now to between 180 to 200 yeah, so I, I know for sure that in 50% of the ransomware cases I'm dealing with, that the attackers have breached the first system for over a month. And it stinks because not all organizations like globally, worldwide can invest in just a dedicated security team to monitor those threats, to monitor. It goes back to the old, like, we wear, you know, 100 hats, and that's IT, right, depending on your role responsibility. But a majority of the time, you don't have a designated team of you know anywhere from two to five individuals who could just really sit down and and target out on those threats those vulnerabilities i mean that's why you have security software companies i mean for years they've always had designated teams just look at the new patches you know definition updates create all those those values to be able to implement them into the newer piece of security software before they come out that was always something that fascinated me when i really found my love of security Back, you know, when I was working at retail, like, well, how does it work? And what's the difference between free software and, you know, the stuff you pay for? And that's a big thing is those signature and definition updates. Software is rarely free. You're paying in some way. Oh, uh, we're going, we're going, we're going on the smaller scale. That This is before I got make to like sure, enterprise. Make sure you read the end user license agreement that everyone just clicks on and doesn't read because sometimes it will say in there about how they're dealing with your data. Yep. That is true. Very good point. It's a whole different kind of ransomware. <laughs> yeah exactly i think generally speaking though my attitude is that you know if you do get bit by ransomware the last thing you want to do is pay for it i mean it's, it's because yeah. that should be really you're really encouraging the business you're rewarding bad behavior uh as opposed to just you know worrying about your good behavior and your ability to recover your data and and your computer and and not only not only that there's nothing there's nothing guaranteeing that the the bad the bad actor is going to actually give you the the, the key to get your files back. Well, that's that's actually something where you're wrong because uh, it's their business model. It's like what you mentioned before, they're a business. They they need a good reputation because otherwise nobody would pay them anymore. So that that's where that's where you get that's where you get the good bad people and the bad bad people. You get you get the good bad people which have a whole service desk they're helping you. You get the bad ones that are just in it for the money. It's like give me the bitcoin, I'm gone. Yeah, but that's they they don't get paid the big bucks. <laughs> no, they don't. No, they're probably making more than us anyway. So here in Europe they're talking about making legislation to make it illegal for companies and organizations to pay to ransomware gangs. It's not already illegal? It's no. not illegal to pay them. It's oh, Ill- I see. it's illegal to it's a it's a crime, but they're in countries that don't act on it. Yeah. Okay. So it's illegal to negotiate with the terrorists. Yeah, and that's okay, one of one of the good, uh, great tips I can give is very, very easy. Like most of the ransomware doesn't activate if it detects it is in a country that is ransomware friendly, like a big parts of Eastern Europe. They they have this stance that you're, uh, they don't interfere with the gangs uh, if they don't hit within their own country. Like uh, a big part of uh, Eastern Europe. So uh, one of the things they check for is the keyboard settings. 
So they check if the machine that they're infecting, if it has a, a keyboard setting from one of the countries that they usually operate, uh, they won't activate. So just ins install a keyboard from like uh, Kazakhstan, Ukraine, Russia, uh, or all three of them. Uh, don't make it your primary one, but just have it installed. It just checks if it's installed and then it doesn't activate. Yeah, but do I have to then know Cyrillic to work? No, you don't have to actually use it. You can just install it and have it as an option. That's awesome. That's yeah, awesome. Then, then they'll look for it as a primary versus a secondary. And I think part of the legalization is that a lot of companies are buying insurance for cybercrime. So then what happens is that's when the insurance companies uh, have been paying it. So I think they're also trying to avert the fact that, you know, it's actually uh, uh, insurance companies are just trying to, to figure out and, and they're the ones paying. Well, they're, they're usually looking to see, okay, so you're getting hit by malware, uh, ransomware, you have an impact. So there's some sort of payment that, that you have to do. You, you may not be paying the bad, the bad actors, but you are paying to recover. So there's the time and effort to bring it back. If you're in a good shape and you've done your pre-work and your backups are working and all you're doing is saying, okay, the laptop needs to be reformatted and we're going to send you a new laptop, then obviously there's there's very little cost. It's, it's the time and effort for IT and then that person's out a laptop for however long it takes FedEx or UPS to get it there. It's when, you know, you don't have all your pre-work done and be prepared for those events that may or may not happen. And that's where now data could be destroyed. And when data is destroyed, that could be the worst thing for the company because depending on the data that gets destroyed, if it's intellectual property, you could be uh, SOL. Yeah, so one of the threats they're making is... Uh that they're not only encrypting your files, uh, but they're also first transferring them out. So if you're not paying, they will say, well, if you're not paying, we'll, uh, we'll release your data. All right. Nice work, gents. I know I learned some stuff. To our listeners, if you want to continue your learning on ransomware and how to protect your organization, check out some of the rec recommendations in the description below. And of course, do not forget to subscribe or follow Cisco Champion Radio so you receive new episode alerts. I hope you all enjoyed today's episode. See you next Monday.